the incomparable. Number 464, June 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we are in TV season wrap-up season, where uh, all these shows that we watch and want to talk about are finishing their seasons, and we uh, therefore spend several weeks in the spring talking about the seasons gone by of various TV shows. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Sci-Fi Channel's excellent TV series, The Magicians. Now, um, the season four just concluded. We, we will fire off the spoiler horn in a little bit, but I feel like before we do that, we once again, as we did last year when we talked about season three, are going to need to spend a little time explaining, one, what is this show if you haven't heard of it at all? Two, if you watched like part of season one and were like, yeah, whatever, it's kind of uh, dirty Harry Potter, whatever. Uh, not dirty Harry like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I, I, I dirty like Harry. Call it sexy, cussy like, Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, imagine Clint Eastwood with a wand. That's dirty Harry Potter. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll get into it, but I will say I feel like this is a show that has had one of the more remarkable trajectories in terms of getting better every season. Um, and uh, so you might want to give it another look if you've only given it the initial glance. So we'll talk about The Magicians uh, in general a little bit, and then season four in particular. And when I say we, I don't just mean me and my imaginary friends. I have real people here. You can hear them too, right? You hear their voices too, right? Like Annette Weirstra. Hello, I am here with my, I have no wand, but I do have fancy hand movements to wave around at you. <laughs> That's good. It's more of a magician's thing, right? The fancy hand movements are the way. And sparkles as as you move your hands, sparkles. That helps. It's very fancy. Micah Sargent is also here. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, taken to try to learn some of those really cool little hand tricks and then see if I can't translate those into like signals for my dogs to do tricks. And then I'll really <laughs> feel like a magician. That would be amazing. And we plucked him from an alternate timeline. It's Moises Chuyan. Hello. <laughs> Jason, the journey that you've got ahead of you, I can't tell you about it. You've got to experience oh. it for yourself, oh, man. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You, oh. have, I mean, I've seen this and, and what's coming is just amazing. Spoilery reference acknowledged, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, but let's, yeah, so let's start at the, at the top without, the, without spoiling everybody about everything, just to give people a little <laughs> bit of a chance to, to know what, what's going on. You know, these books uh, by Lev Grossman have been sort of, uh, you know, the first couple of seasons used a lot of the raw material from the books, less so, I think, in the, in the, in the third and fourth season. I liked the first two seasons, but as I said last year when we talked about season three, I have never seen, I think, a TV show go so fast from being fine to being legitimately great. Like, I feel like after a couple of seasons, you got at least kind of a an idea of the level of the show. And if it's improving, you know, most likely it will kind of like continue to ramp up. And mm -hmm. I felt like the, the Magicians, which I didn't, I watched all of season one and season two and I liked it, but Season three, I kept running around to people and saying, have you seen season three of The Magicians? It's amazingly <laughs> good. And people be like, really? The Magicians? I'm like, no, really? It is. And uh, season four, I, I think, is it better than season three? I don't think it is, but I think it's good. I think it's about at that level. I think it's way closer to the level of season three than the, than the first two seasons. And I think, that's, I think it's remarkable just how the producers and writers of this show, after a couple of seasons, after 26 episodes under their belt, suddenly just kicked it into a, a higher gear. It, it really is remarkable. I think that's fair. And I think mm -hmm. um, what I like about it is 
the show feels a little unapologetic um, and really feels like they've latched onto something to me that is unique about this show. And I don't know, there's it's it's got a very specific flavor that the fans of the show really enjoy. And I don't think that they've backed down from that at all. And I quite like that because I think some shows will you know, you try a few things, you see how it lands and then you kind of back off of it or you, you, you know, you go hard in other areas and these characters continue to, you know, be the characters that they are and develop in different ways. But the, the whole feeling of the show really has stuck. And I think that if they had backed away from that, then it would not be the show that it is. And so, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it's it's going the way that it is. I only discovered this show. I'd heard about it, but it doesn't stream easily in Canada. So I was just uh, telling these guys that I watched all the first three seasons in 12 days. Wow. Over New Year's when I was in San Francisco uh, visiting my brother and um, we were puppy sitting, so I couldn't leave the dog for that long but it was perfect so i watched three seasons straight i agree that season three really took it up a different level um but i i got i was hooked on all three of them i think the the overarching narrative of three really helped to bring it together and really leaning into the like that it's a it's a full cast it's not about one character i feel like it really hit that stride in season three really makes it something different Oh boy, that is, I, I think that is a key point that we're going to have to underline a few times, which is, um, it is a full cast and not about one character. And I think it's so yes. easy for people to point at Jason Ralph as Quentin Coldwater and mm-hmm. say he's the star of the show. And in the books, he's the center character. He's the central character of the books. But the show has always pretty much been an ensemble. And even in the first season, it sort of shared the two perspectives of Quentin, who is at Break Bills, the magic school, and Julia, Mm -hmm. who was rejected from it. And so there was always sort of multiple viewpoints and multiple perspectives. And as the show has gone on, it really is an ensemble show. And in season four, that is made very clear as it goes Mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, it's not just about Quentin, even though he was kind of the main character in in Lev Grossman's books. The only thing that I had to add is um, listeners who've who've listened to our, our wrap ups for previous seasons uh, might recall, uh, you know, I hope this isn't spoiling anything um, that uh, that Glenn found out during the recording that I had just read all of the spoilers for the books that existed after <laughs> I watched season one. Right. Um, <laughs> and I was uh, as much as one can make this kind of armchair observation, uh, this material in adaptation is something that I love that the author has has embraced the adaptation and the different things that they've done and the things they've created from whole cloth and the major diversions they've taken. Um, and I, I feel like in... In other hands, uh, the situation may be one of those where they steer away from uh, the the author's original intent, the original thrust of, of what they were getting at. Um, and I feel like in adaptation, they they've done a lot to uh, boost female characters that didn't have as much to do or weren't as substantive in the source material. Again, mm-hmm. something that Grossman himself um, has acknowledged to his credit, uh, and and that has only continued for me uh, through season four, where at this point. Yeah, I spoiled myself on a, on a bunch of the stuff that's in the books, but they've diverged a lot and they've turned various things on on its head um, and, and then kind of twisted back around and ended up doing what I thought they were not doing. Um, and it's far enough into the show's run that I, I just um, 
I, I am looking forward to more and it feels like it's in responsible hands that's going to wrap it up when it's time to wrap it up and make difficult decisions uh, when it's time to make difficult decisions that like if this were a network show, they would say, oh, could you not do that to this character that a lot of people like? Uh, or can we wait a season to do, you know, like 23 episodes until we do something to this character that people are really liking? Because the exit uh, polling is, is just saying this and this. Um it just it, it's fantastic. It's it is top shelf watching. It is something that I um, that I put at the top of my let's see. What am I going to watch tonight when it broadcasts when it, once it's aired as an adaptation? We actually did an incomparable episode about the first book, I think, um, which I liked. <laughs> and Glenn, uh, I think Glenn didn't like, but then he read the other two books and liked them. And, and it, it was it was definitely a split kind of view on the books. And, and part of that is that it is that first book, especially it is a riff on two things on Harry Potter and on Narnia. And the mm-hmm. idea there is yep. what if this stuff was real? That that is basically it. So it's like, what if it's like Harry Potter, but college age people, and it's like, what if they uh, took drugs and messed around with magic in bad ways and stuff like that? And also the Narnia part, where it's like, what if Narnia was totally real and you could go there? And the show took that world building was like, okay, basically season one is pretty close to being plot from the first two books kind of interleaved uh with the fillery stuff which is their narnia analog sort of move to season two and you know talking about fantasy adaptations on tv obviously game of thrones is a, is a great example of that where you've got uh very close adaptations in some ways and then the books run out and then they kind of follow an outline from there what I think I have a theory about why the magicians went airborne in season three, and it's that they spent the first two seasons doing the world building where they used, you know, not slavishly, but they used the raw material of the books to build the, you know, to meet the characters and build the world or worlds, right? To build Fillory as well as Earth. And at that point, I feel like the all the writers just said, okay, now it's time for us to play with these characters and this this setting and they were sort of freed from worrying about like what's in the books how do we have to how do we have to match the books uh, and i would actually put magicians on the list of like the right way to do an adaptation of a book series on tv it, very different from something like the expanse right which is a show that that the magicians has been paired with um, not this year because uh, the expanse has gone from sci-fi and off to Amazon. But um, in previous years, the expanse is still a very much kind of like close hewn to the books, and they do a good job. But magicians, I feel like, is so much stronger for having let the books just mm-hmm. be reference material, essentially. And I, I, I don't know. It's it's funny to say that because I read that first book and I kind of delighted it watching how they adapted it but i think they were right to sort of say yeah we got what we needed out of it we're gonna go tell our own stories now and i wonder i'm curious how folks uh who were very into the books you know truly like fans of the books maybe for a long time feel about the show uh that's out now because for me uh we were talking a little bit about this too i uh, and I listened to a lot of audiobooks, and so I was listening to the whole series on audiobooks after, I don't know, season three, I think. And I didn't really care for it, but it's one of those things I spent the money on the stupid books, so I'm going to listen to them. And they were fine, but they were very obviously different from the show, and I very much like the show. And 
so coming from that perspective, I loved the way that this was done and how they didn't make it like the books. And I agree that I, I feel like they were a good steward of the content um, without, like you said, sort of sticking heavily to it. But I, I don't know, as anyone on this on this you know, podcast, a big fan of the books and maybe feels differently or the same about the, the show? I read the first book after I watched the first three seasons. So I, I did it the opposite way than normal. Um, but I thought the books were a little bit of a letdown because I assumed I would like the books as much as I would. I like the TV show. And I think the pacing of the books, it took a, for me, that first book took a really long time to get to the, the plot. It was like a lot of world building, a lot of world right. building, a lot of world, world building. And then they finally got to the pot, plot. And I thought the TV show, because they interwove elements of it more, it, um, it paced it much better. And it did go through that book really quickly. And I think the nice thing is, you know, they are different medium, right? So what you're reading on the page versus what you're watching on screen and actors and everything that's happening. I think sometimes, yes, sometimes it's nice to see something that really closely follows and is inspired by a book, but sometimes it's just better to go and do what TV does and let books do what books do. And I just, I thought they did a great job of it. Yeah. And, and for me, Micah, having read the books uh, or the first two books, I still haven't read the third book. I'm going to have to read all three of them again because I've forgotten. But um, I, uh, like I said, I enjoyed seeing the choices they made. But um, one of the things that's very funny, and this goes to kind of Annette's point about the way it feels with the world building, is um, they took big pieces of book. Book two is meant to parallel book one. So in the in the books, um, Quentin goes, it's the Harry Potter analog. Quentin goes to break bills and meets all these people and learns about magic and all of that. And then learns about Fillory and that it's real, even though he's been obsessed with it. And his friend Julia, meanwhile, there's a big cliffhanger at the end of book one where it's revealed that Julia has actually not just been a sad person who didn't get into break bills. She's learned magic on her own. And book two doubles back and tells her story. And the producers were like, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to tell those two stories simultaneously. So it's a very different thing from the very beginning. Um, I think those books are fun, but they are off-putting. Quentin is, you know, He's an unpleasant character in those books. He <laughs> yes. is an unpleasant yes. character. And I think it makes there are a lot of people for whom uh, that that makes it a hard read that they kind of bounce off of, of what a jerk Quentin is. And uh, I get it. I get it. I, I like those books, but um, I think the series has, uh, you know, I don't want to compare art, but I'd say the series has certainly moved beyond what the books had to offer. I like that. And I think that's uh, the best, the best summary for how I feel about it. And I'm, you know, if you're out there, you can shout at me somewhere and say, the books were better. Ah. I'll say this uh, as an avid fan of the spoilers, uh, reading through <laughs> them, uh, I found each time it, it, it uh, you know, I, I found that they had changed something significantly. I was thrilled that they made that choice and what that choice led to in every single case. Yeah. And also, I should say, it's not like it's, um, super sacred ground like the books were like i mean let's be honest they are the great american novels Lev Grossman's uh. <laughs> first book in this series came out in in 2009 so you know it's it's it was six years later that the that the tv show debuted so what you're saying is too soon 
Uh, I, I'm saying that there's nobody out there who's like, you ruined my childhood, who's not themselves <laughs> actually still a child. Still a child. You can't say that yet, young person. <laughs> and, and in those cases, go to go to your room with no uh, dessert or anything. Why were you watching this and reading this? It's awful. Yeah. You shouldn't read these things. They're your too young. your parents? <laughs> this is for grownups. This is not for you. <laughs> yeah, get, yeah, bring your parents out. Anyway. I'd like to speak to your parents. I think. So, you know, in the end, this is a... Uh, a fantasy show, but it, it is uh, it is an urban fantasy show. It is a it is uh, that that plays with high fantasy, which is one of the other things that I I'd say I love about it. I love mixing of genres, but this is qu- this is like mixing of subgenres in a way that I think is kind of really delightful. That you know, urban fantasy as a as a uh, written genre is really hot right now. Um, or or I don't know, maybe it was hot five years ago and it's not hot anymore. But it's like it's a relatively recent phenomenon of let's take fantasy elements but put them in modern context and the magicians definitely does that but with the fillery aspect as well as the more cosmic sort of uh, library of the of the uh, either world either world neither world uh the library um you get other aspects of fantasy including a more traditional high fantasy where there are creatures and there are talking animals and there are rabbit messengers and things <laughs> things like that uh and that's that's actually one of the things that i think is really clever about it is you've got people from our, that are recognizable they're not it's not like the fellowship of the ring or something like that where it's they're uh they're uh rel- that they live in this high fantasy world they're people recognizable from our world they're flawed adults so it's a little bit different than than the harry potter kind of like uh you know innocent school kids learning mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's quite different from that but then they get plopped down in a setting where they're made you know at one point uh, kings and queens of a magical fa- fantasy realm so the show gets to have it both ways and that's uh, i think one of the other reasons that it's worth people's attention it's not like any other tv show i can think of in that way they're also in that other world though with a, a modern urban sensibility which makes it interesting. So it's like me with everything I know about pop culture and the world and life in that it's like, I finally got to go to Narnia and I get to make lots of great jokes and references to things that are amusing me. Right. I don't, I don't think that I'd ever quite what you've just said, Jason is kind of like, it it makes sense now why I enjoy this whole thing so much. And I hadn't quite put in that summary wrapper on it because for me, I love urban fantasy so much and I love, 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 love high fantasy so much. And this is me more than, you know, I don't know that I can necessarily identify with the little kid who eats um, Turkish delight in a queen's uh, sled or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. But I can certainly identify with someone who goes to this fantasy world and is like, Oh, so now they're talking animals. Okay, let's figure this out. All right. Uh, I guess this is my new reality now. And so I get to sort of, it's easy to live vicariously through someone who you can more closely relate to. And I think that that ends up being why this show kind of means so much to me. Yeah, there's a moment where, you know, basically it's things like, hey, there's a talking sloth followed very quickly by, wow, that talking sloth is a jerk, right? Like, that's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yes. right. You can comment on it yourself because you're from here. You're like us. You can comment on this, all of the tropes of high fantasy and subvert them. And, and the, the beauty of the magicians, because it's not, I, w- I don't want to say that it's a cynical show that all it does is subvert high fantasy tropes and make fun of them. No, that's the beauty of it is that 
it sometimes honors them and then subverts them. And other times it subverts them and then honors them. And that's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of it is that it is, it, it is having it both ways because we are a modern audience and yet we are watching a fantasy show. And it can, there are some beautiful moments in the fourth season where these ridiculous fantasy elements are really taken very seriously. And I, I love that about it, that you have characters who are so often cynical and making jokes and rolling their eyes who um, get very serious and know that the stakes are high and that they need to perform under pressure. And that's part of the delight of the show, too, is is you will have a ridiculous premise and you have to take it seriously because the show basically says you will die if you do not take this ridiculous premise seriously. <laughs> I love that about it. I'm glad that I think pretty much every ver- uh, like uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, whatever, the, the way that you watch any of the first three seasons now removes the ducking that they did of the cursing. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is an R. This is an R rated show that was was ducked or dubbed on sci-fi channel but on netflix in the u.s right now it's where you can watch the first three seasons it's just all there in its glory yeah i i really enjoy the colorful metaphors captain this episode of the incomparable is brought to you by pingdom while you've been listening to the incomparable how would you know it if something bad happened to your website would you know if your customers couldn't click a buy now button or log into their accounts or access your content you might find out sort of accidentally by luck somebody might complain to you this is no good you need to know before anybody else even notices and find a way to fix it before it causes trouble for whatever you're doing on the web and that means you need pingdom pingdom lets you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you they can get the information to whoever is needing to solve that problem it's smart it'll send it to whoever needs it whether that's one person or a group or your whole team they will make the web faster and more reliable by using 70 different global test servers to emulate visits to your site making sure it can check its availability as often as every minute all they need is your url they will take care of the rest don't risk being the last to know when your computers betray you because they will because they are out to get us all um, and uh, instead, know right up front and fix it before it's a problem. Start monitoring your site today. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. And when you sign up, use code Snell at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting The Incomparable. All right, uh, let's fire off the spoiler horn for season four of The Magicians. But yeah, you should go seek it out if you haven't uh, seen it. Season three, even if you tried, dipped in before, just jump to season three. And boy, it, you will not. It, it was giving me kind of like top seasons of Buffy vibes and how good it was. So check that mm-hmm. out. And then I'm sure season four will appear there at a later date. But we're going to move on now and talk about season four. <laughs> Jason, can can I just say that I love Hale Appleman as Elliot playing a mind-controlled zombie for an entire season of a show, and in five minutes of it, um, is more entertaining than you know mind-controlled Hawkeye in the first Avengers movie. Mm. Yeah, I I thought it was really risky of them to mm. do the. Um, Two, two things they did at the end of uh, last season, which I didn't like. I didn't like the last episode of, of season three. I, I was anticipating hating this. and Right? And they're like, oh, but now they're all other... This season starts and they're like, they've all been hidden as alternate personalities. I was worried that was going to last a lot longer. I'm yeah, so glad so well, Because th- that's what other shows do. That's what other shows do that drives me so crazy is they take something like that and they decompress it out over 13 or 22 episodes. And yeah... Ugh. Ooh, yeah, I'm just getting my ABGBs thinking about having to watch through that. <laughs> but they, they get us they get us through it 
what in two episodes i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah and but elliot on the other hand um is the monster for the whole season with the exception of basically a scene plus an episode where we sort of see in what's going on with Elliot sort of trapped on the inside. And, and yeah, you know, Moises that you mentioned this, that I I think a huge risk, right? Because one, he's got to act like, I mean, he is a professional actor. Hell, Appleman, he is a professional actor. He's he's being asked to do something very different from the character that he has played up to now. And not only did he do, I think a very good job, super creepy, but, Mm. um, you know, but he, you also risk angering people who love Elliot and want to see him and want to see him with Margot. And he's not in this season, basically, other than that one episode. It's a big risk. Yeah. I missed him uh, like a great deal because I love Elliot and I love Elliot Margot to me. I would go, you know, to the ends of the earth mm-hmm. for them, with them or for them. But at the same time, I didn't like I didn't mind that he wasn't there in a weird way. I like that they gave us a little flavor of him every once in a while just to reassure us that Elliot was still there. I didn't think he was going to be gone forever. But I was there was about halfway through the season where you're going, they're really going to mm-hmm. just take him away from us for a whole season i think and that it took that long for me to believe that they were going to do it but hale appleton appleman Appleman. he's he's he was really great at that because i love him so much as elliot Mm -hmm. and he freaked me out as the monster and i think so for that it's it's an interesting thing for me and watching a show and consuming a show because i try to find a healthy balance of of course like suspending disbelief and getting into the show but you know, I think all of us at times do watch shows to see these performers perform their craft and just watching it and getting to see all of these little ticks and these little uh, changes to the personality and how how he chooses to portray this this character is brilliant and fun in and of itself. Aside from what's going on, aside from anything else, it's like watching this actor do this thing is interesting regardless of what's going on and i kind of you know went back and forth between sort of okay you know we're watching the show and we're in it and we're seeing this this scary monster do this thing and then you know now i'm kind of watching and i just want to see how this person performs and so there was like a double helping that i got to get with this and that was enjoyable yeah and the um the favorites or uh, the the fake identities thing was you know, short enough that it was funny. Um, it's especially funny that Margot's identity is Janet, which is like, <laughs> we've already heard a joke about this in a previous season that in all the other timelines, she's Janet because in the book, that character is named Janet. <laughs> um, and they just changed her name because they didn't want another J name in uh, among the main characters <laughs> so they just changed their name so that that made me laugh but we get a we get a bunch of good jokes there's the you know uh what is it is is it josh who's the uber driver yes. i think so yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's like there's a, there's a bunch of good uh there's a bunch of good jokes there and meanwhile what we find out is that is that uh julia is at break bills at last um and i think the way they handled the doubles was pretty interesting where you have other actors playing the characters but their um their original actors break through and depending on perspective i i thought it was an interesting way to do it where you really did get the sense that they were someone else but but they really weren't and then the revelation that with katie right that she's not 
she's she her story doesn't make sense um that she's this detective from a book yeah. or a comic book um I, I just very imaginative like so many of the things in the show so imaginative about how they spin out these stories that that it ends up being sort of like the nonsense of the narrative that makes her realize that her backstory can't be right so with with the handling of this i think it was when we started seeing you know falling falling things from the sky and things flying at them and all that, that I kind of went, Oh, please, 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 please do not let this last too long. Yeah. Because that just, it, it felt kind of overwhelming. It felt a little silly and it was just something that I knew was going to end up kind of grating on my nerves if it was going to keep going. Um, and so, you know, like we've said, I think that making that decision to not let this last long and to, to, to kind of um, these there's something about this group of magicians. There's clearly something about this group because we've seen what they've done in, in the seasons leading up to this. And so it kind of, I don't think that it would be entirely believable to have this group kind of stuck in this other personality thing for a whole season. And so I think it speaks to their handling of the characters and like their respect for these characters and their abilities that, we got in and out of it uh, pretty quickly. And then I think respect maybe for the viewers that we didn't have to continue to watch. I don't know. We go from like uh, ponies flying through the air to skyscrapers falling down to whatever comes after that. I don't know. Like the the core of the earth comes flying at them. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> we didn't have to get to that point before they finally figured out there was something going on. Yeah, the um the bear also is a thing that I really loved. And there's a there's the bad luck bear, the bad news bear is the name of the episode. Yes. In, oh, in episode three, episodes. where the, the and this is again the inventiveness of this show, the idea that the way that they can make a move in order to get what they what they need because there's a there's like a luck spell that they can use that Katie and Penny end up using in order to try to get access to something they need to get access to. Kind of doesn't matter. The point is somebody has to hold this teddy bear. And while they <laughs> hold the teddy bear, they all the bad luck pours into them and Quentin takes it. And that is just a series of hilarious things that happen mm -hmm. to him it, it, with this cute little teddy bear. It's great. It's uh, it, it's just like what that. And, and that's about the same time that we have lots of plot developments involving, um, uh alice who's who's locked up in the in basically the library uh prison cell um <laughs> that the, the parallel story is that she's locked up with santa claus the with real santa of all people who arrests santa 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 claus the longtime convict yeah yeah, yeah and he explains his story his backstory to her and there's that moment where she's like wait a second are and you it's so santa good <laughs> i loved that um i'm just gonna go all the way with it uh i remember in high school um i, I was in you know several poetry classes and i had i wrote a poem about how i could never be a mall room santa claus because if i was i wouldn't just be santa i would be black santa and so for this episode to be like oh yeah you know the real deal santa claus <laughs> is uh you know a person of color i thought he's that was... canonically blank okay. yes mm -hmm. exactly yep. and that just made me feel so great um so i really enjoyed this moment where she's like you're santa claus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know yeah got, i got elves it's it's fine <laughs> yeah he's got to get out of there he's got to get out they've both got to get out of there there's a lot of a lot of that going on um uh, some other characters that I wanted to mention that are that are not in our like top tier, but have sort of like started to creep up and be used. Like um, 
Uh, so Marina was a character who I always liked and they killed her and it made me sad. But just as with Penny, they went to another timeline and they brought back alternate timeline Penny and Marina and Marina figures in this season. And they spent a lot of time in her apartment. I, I like I like that she was there. And then and then Katie, who Katie and Josh are basically like the characters who started as minor characters, but are basically like part of the gang now. And I think that's great. Katie has a whole story arc involving hedge witches. Um, as magic is being rationed and and uh, and like the the different hedge witches, they're threatened at various points. There's lots of storyline that goes on with them, and I thought that was that Katie got a lot to do. Also, that actress is the one who can who can really sing. So really sing. Yeah. Like, yeah. a musical episode, kill it. She she has to be in it. Um, and then and Josh too. Josh ends up with a story arc where you know Josh kind of a joke character, not but also also yes, and he does turn into a fish later in the season. But you know he. <laughs> <laughs> and Margot have a, a as weird as it is a building relationship throughout the season that is uh, kind of fun and charming and Josh gets to be heroic at several points too and I think that's the great thing about this show is that they find these these peripheral characters and it's like the the show or the writers or whomever is making these decisions it p- it picks up some of these peripheral characters and goes oh yeah I like you we're just gonna use you now and and, yeah. and not like we're not one of these like no 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 you're not one of the main characters so you can't they're like no you're great you're in you're in the show now like okay Josh is part of it yep Josh is a main character now Katie yep mm-hmm, yep sure <laughs> I think that feeds though into the ensemble piece and like they really highlighted that this season where everyone is kind of the hero of their own story right. but also that everyone can be a hero at different times and. Yeah, that it's not just about the one heroic figure. Right. I mean, Katie is the hero of the Hedge Witches. Yep. Fen is the hero of Fillory, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. all mm-hmm. of these smaller characters, not part of the main group of magicians who have the chance to be heroic moments. And from the perspective of certain communities inside the story, like the Hedge, Hedge Witches is a great example. They are the big hero. Like they're the ones who who are trying to save people and do heroic things. It's pretty uh it's pretty funny and unusual, I think, for a show to do that and and let them have that time. Josh uh, Josh gets to re- represent hot pastries everywhere. Uh he's the hero for hot pastries. <laughs> and, he, fish. You know, he, and fish. And fish. He, he's the hot pie. He's the hot pie of this as hot pie is to Game of Thrones. He's kind of a hot American pie. Oh, that's the best I can do. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Um, the thing I like actually in particular about Josh is He's the kind of character that with a he I, I mean, in other hands, he could be uh, a bit uh, regressive uh, in terms of, you know, him him getting more time at the expense of female characters and being like a sub lead, you know, Harry Potter Jr. Uh, to Quentin, um, you know, just soaking up a bunch of time. But mm-hmm. but Josh is portioned just as much as I'm as much as I'm really wanting from Josh. Josh is in here. Um, and, and that carries over to the whole cast. I realized, um, from the people who've kind of graduated up to the people that have been there since season one, episode one, um, the balance is really good just across the board, which I think is, it's difficult to do. And particularly in this type of show where there's this story to tell, and it's not just, you know, sitcom or something like that to, to find the balance and experiment and play around in the space of not very many episodes, uh, you know, in total 
is kind of magical. Uh-huh. The magicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, <laughs> I am glad that they're doing that. I don't know. There's, there's something very, very good going on here with this, this team that is working on this show because I do feel a sense of, of freedom and whimsy and, and magic genuinely that is involved with, with telling this story in a way that all of these magicians get to get to have their time. They're they're also playing though with the types of stories and how they tell stories. Um, that like the great example is the one where they actually talk about narrative and hero. Yeah. Like that's about midpoint. And that I was like, that is brilliant. And um and that literally the theme is the white guy is not necessarily the hero of the story and tells a whole bunch of different stories from different perspectives. And it just worked so great. And I think just reinforced a lot of the themes they've been carrying through for for three or four seasons now. Uh, you know, I loved uh, Margot going into the desert to get her dragonglass oh, oh axes. That was my favorite episode. The, the thing that I loved the most about it is exactly what Annette was just getting at is y- you have your expectations based on this kind of uh, issue of the week in addition to the serial narrative uh, kind of stories that we're used to. We're used to a plot similar to this where what is being said on the surface, that is actually what's happening. Mm-hmm. But through the lens of this writer's room, we have this incredibly empowering, incredibly progressive uh, episode where uh, Margot, who is uh, really honestly far and away my fave on the show, mm. I love Margot. I love Summer Bishop yeah. so much. Um, she she gets to really absolutely shine in the way that she does in an episode where she has two lines. Um, but I really I really love getting an extended uh, bit of time with her playing the hero. Yeah, I mean she she is such a great character, and that episode, which is the that's the musical episode, um, and and it is. Not what I, I when they started singing, I was like, oh, I guess this is the musical episode. Now it's not what not really where I thought they were going with it, but it was great. OK, this is the one where they're going to sing. She, li- right. she licked a, a hallucinogenic toad and now it's a musical <laughs> episode. Got it. Got it. That's how it works in real life. But I like how they're all the time. They're musical episodes because I'm actually I love musicals. I don't love musical episodes, but they do it in a way that sort of fits in with the narrative and doesn't feel like you've shoehorned in everyone doing musical numbers. And they always do just enough that it makes sense and not like the whole. But this narrative and this story actually gave them opportunity to have more singing, to bring in all these other casts who weren't part of that story just because they're all hallucinogenic. Yeah, you know, so it was it was I was like, this is so genius. <laughs> As an aside, while we're talking about music, um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the magicians is that every single season has brought me so many good songs that mm. like the the soundtrack for this show, whoever's I want to meet you and I want to give mm-hmm. you a hug if you'll allow it. And I want to like see your music library because I found so many good songs. They'll be playing it and I'm like, okay, I know I'm in the middle of this story, but I have to rewind and ask S-I-R-I mm. what I'm listening to right now so I can get that added to my library. And I end up finding new artists all the time from this. And so I think... Like there's so much, there's so much to love about this show from the performances to the urban sci-fi thing that you talked about mixed with this old school high sci-fi or fantasy rather, and uh, the soundtrack and the the stories that are told. It's just a beautiful package of wonder, mm-hmm. and I appreciate it for that. One of the um, 
the, so the overarching story in this season is that Elliot's uh, uh, body is being inhabited by this mo- this monster, this beast at the end of the world that they they released last season. And in this, he turns out he has a quest. His quest is to well, we don't we aren't sure at first. Sort of like body parts and killing gods and exacting <laughs> revenge and things like that. And it, over time, it turns out that he's reassembling his sister who was sort of disassembled and their 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 power was stolen by a bunch of what turned out to be kind of rogue librarians, including Bacchus, actually, who we've met before. And so that's that's the quest. And uh, we and, and our characters are forced basically because the you know Elliot is now this god monster and they don't want to you know they don't want him to damage Elliot's body and they also he's got incredible power and could kill them and so they sort of like do his bidding while they're trying to figure out how to how to get rid of him and that that drives a lot of the story through the season um but another another element of it is the story of Julia who um gave up her godlike powers at the end of last season and in this season, you know, you have these moments where she's trying to figure out her place, and it turns out that she seems to be kind of neutral in terms of magic, but also be completely indestructible and immortal. And it's eventually revealed that she's basically caught between being a god and a mortal, and it's not a state, a stable state. She can't stay there. But um, in a in in one of my favorite developments of the entire season, after Bacchus is horribly killed by the monster. Um, Bacchus's uh, follower uh, decides that she's going to worship Julia, <laughs> Julia. instead. Mm-hmm. And, and she does that for a few episodes until she is also horribly killed. <laughs> but but I, I, love, I love that, um, that we get these parallel quests because, you know, this is the, even in the books, it was like this. There's this like, hey, magic is fun. Also, there are like gods or other powers that humans like can't even begin to imagine. And it adds this sort of level of like, you think you know what's going on, but you really don't. There's this whole other level that's scary and out of your level of comprehension. I think the show has done a really good job of using that as a way to drive storylines like Julia and this season with the monster taking over Elliot. It, it you know, you, you end up being, uh, your, your quest is really to how do you defeat the almost undefeatable creature? And um, I thought that was pretty effective, given that he's essentially holding Elliot hostage the whole season. The thing I find amazing is that they have juggled the whole notion of powering, where at a certain point I was worried the uh, the protagonists were getting too powerful, and they 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 were able to limit that, curtail that, without it coming off as just a, a sudden um, uh, Deus Ex Machina. It it felt earned. It felt like it was a part of it. You know, the the, the control of the library has been long lasting now um there's there there's there's such an interesting dynamic that they've played with where it isn't it isn't video game like you know where you think oh i've finished level 100 now i'm done but there are 150 more levels to go uh it it never feels cheap it always feels like it's unfolding something that we are becoming aware of as our main characters are becoming aware of it um, in, uh, in, in, a, in, in a believable way. And every time there's a twist, every time there's the next step, the thing that this show does that really is what has earned my respect is every time I feel like in the writer's room, they're challenging each other to make that next twist or step be something completely outlandish, ridiculous, um, unexpected. 
in instead of it being sort of like more pedestrian of like, well, now we need to go get this object or whatever it is. And instead, it's we need to go. Everything is what is it? What do they call it? Like uh, in animation, they need to plus it. They need to plus everything. It's like, yeah, OK, yeah. OK, there's information they need to get in a book. All right. What if the book was itself alive? And when you opened it, Matt Frewer appeared talking <laughs> as a narrator of his own book. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. And that's what's in this. And that's the binder. And that's a great, I feel like that's a perfect example of the magicians going like, yeah, we could do it normally, but we are not. We are going to make it even, even more weird and outlandish just because we can. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of shows would just not bother. You mentioned Matt Frewer, and I, I just want to throw in a quick thing about the, the little uh, guest stars that we get, both faces and names that we know and people that we don't. The follower of Bacchus who follows Julia is fantastic. Matt Frewer is fantastic. Cameron Mannheim. Cameron Mannheim, mm-hmm. movie, we're straight out of Modesto, where there's lo- there's a whole yeah. subplot involving Modesto, California, and uh, Hedge Witches and Magic uh, that is, uh, as somebody who grew up not too far away from there, that was very exciting. It's like, yes, Modesto is is not a magical place but maybe it is maybe it is but Cameron Mannheim is there and then she and and you think she's a one shot and no she's not she keeps coming back it totally I I was telling myself oh okay this is the one episode Cameron Mannheim's in and then she's back not just once but like a few times and Jewel State right yeah Jewel State shows up for she, she shows up for two seconds as Santa Claus is escaping on a smoke break and you have to pause it to necessarily recognize that it's her, but it's totally her in in whatever it is, like episode two. Yeah. And then eight episodes later in the library, we <laughs> then she, she actually shows is part of the plot. Yeah, it's amazing. Back to your comment about power that um, even with Elliot, they they could like he's not invincible as the monster. I guess he is invincible. And yet it's his personality. And there's something sort of soft and introspective and almost looking for love from the characters that prevents him from just wiping them all out because he could just kill them all. But why doesn't why doesn't he? But he's kind of needy and lonely and doesn't yeah. really understand. He's been gone so long and they seem kind of useful. So I guess I'll keep you around. It's one of those things like I might as, I'm, I'll likely kill you tomorrow, but I'll leave you around today kind of thing. Exactly. And that gives them exactly. their, their opening. And when they again, it, it doesn't feel cheap to me because they spend a season building up to it when they figure out that there might be something that they can use to capture them. The, the the brother and the sister gods yeah there you know it takes a lot of work for them to get that thing and there's a price to be paid for it and so you feel like you know it's not like oh well they were completely undefeatable until they needed them to lose and then they lost it's like no no they yeah. had to work and you see them do the work to get to the point where they might be able to risk everything in order to stop these creatures and and they earned it well and they also had to injure the bodies of the people they care about to right do yeah. it risking them so lots of sacrifice yeah. yes jo- and josh mm-hmm. had to be a fish well no that was sort of accidental <laughs> but anyway you know in, you know sometimes in, you gotta be a fish and trying to be magical he became a fish it's just a thing that happened fish are cool as long as you keep looking at them you got to keep looking at them that's the uh yes another example where margo's detachable <laughs> magic eye becomes a plot point you just drop it in the deus ex i well, and, th- and then they give him magical fish power and then sort of waste it going to get cake yeah. instead of using it when they really need it. That part really, I got to say, uh, of, ev- of anything, <laughs> I was very confused. I just, this, that, that I'm going, I just didn't know what was going on there. Um, 
And like, yeah, I don't know. There was cake Cake. and I wanted the cake to mean more. And I also, I just kind of wanted to know what kind of cake and it was. It also didn't look tasty enough to me because Josh said it was like perfect cake. I'm going, no, that looks like grocery store cake. That did not look like perfect cake. Yes. I think there's an ongoing cake reference because the season finale of the first two seasons was actually, were actually uh, have you brought me little cakes? Oh, and that's right. I, we have brought you little cakes. Me little cakes. So I feel like the the cakes are just you know it's part of the the, the yeah. tapestry of the of the show now is is uh, is cake mm, references a tapestry I, so, of cakes. So the library, I want to mention the library. So last season I was kind of dissatisfied with what they did with the library because they set the library up kind of very late in the game. They're like, oh, Alice is now subverted by the library, and uh, and Zelda is working against them because they're going to take the magic away, which is what happens in that last episode. This season, I thought the library was used uh, more effectively in that, uh, you know, Alice it has to escape from the library and all that. But also we start, we, we get uh, more perspective about Zelda and we, it turns out Marley Matlin was, uh, didn't die in the mirror world. She just was lost, which is cool because I like that character and I was sad Me that they mm-hmm. seemingly killed her off. Um, and, and our final big bad actually turns out to be the senior librarian who's trying to become a god. Um, and that's the part that I had kind of a problem with because he he seems like a minor character who's not that important and then suddenly he's very, very important and must be stopped at all costs. And I don't know, that felt... Jason, that means he fooled you too. Yeah. I, 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 kind, I kind of like that he's a guy who looks like his name is Sheldon and he's been secretly collecting the information stones the whole time effectively (laughs) it's effort it might as well be shelton right it's it's pretty close i i just i i think my my reaction to that is i kind of feel like that should have been zelda and they decided they liked her too much and so they made another librarian to become (gasps) super evil and oh that would have broke my heart i think well yeah which is why they Mm -hmm. they you know probably why they didn't do it well and i mean a version of that might have ended up coming off as you know oh the the woman goes crazy with power and the crazy woman the crazy woman and the crazy woman that's true uh, so i i can see the resistance to it uh if, if they considered it and who knows maybe they did um but it would also kind of close the loop on zelda and maybe they have more zelda story to tell i think they do i think they do because that's because she ends up in a you know uh, the story this season is that zelda and alice have some uh have to make up for their past actions right they have to try to try to uh, prove themselves as being kind of worthy of being trust trustworthy really um and they do um and and uh, through the course of the season but it, it, it is a journey for them to get there because at the end of last season sort of like oh the library is really bad and they've betrayed everybody and at the end of this season it's sort of like no well the library kind of cleaned up its own mess in the end with some help from our friends and now it's in, it's in a better place but um it does lead to the big final um final moment which it turns out is not about it's not just the confrontation with the monster um and his sister where they 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 put the sister in the bottle first and that that uh, frees julia because julia gets taken over when the sister is finally kind of reassembled and elliot but it's also this everett guy from the library who is trying to become a god as well which leads to a uh one of many sort of tense filled scenes in the in the mirror world and in the poison room of the mirror world too which is a super creepy idea that keeps coming back and they have to find, in the end, they have to find this uh, this seam in the mirror world where they could toss the bottles containing the two gods. And they won't be destroyed because they can't be destroyed, but they will be basically lost forever in a void. 
and that's how you get rid of them. Um, Everett intervenes at this point because he wants to eat them and their godlike powers or whatever it is. <laughs> but I'll be a good monster. I'll be a good god. I know how to be a good god. Yeah, yeah. This oh, time. yeah. No, he's going to be good. He's totally going to be good. That's what they all say, dude. Yes, Have exactly. you not been paying attention? Nobody. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, and this this gets our big moment. That is the big shocker, the big surprise moment that I didn't see coming, and that is the show calculating that they want to end on this on this moment, which is there is a moment where. Um, where Quentin has to decide what he's going to do, and he decides to sacrifice himself in order to stop Everett, and Quentin dies. And the next scene is him visiting with our original Penny in the underworld and them having a conversation, and then he goes and moves on to where uh, where Penny is not allowed to go because he's got a lifetime contract with the or eternal contract with a library. And uh, that's it for, uh, for Quentin. And according to the producers and Jason Ralph, that's, that's it. So they, their, their theoretical main character who has not really been, but is the top liner um, at the end of season four, uh, he dies and they, and they have a, they sing uh, take on me by aha and uh, have a memorial for him. And that's it. So happy and sad at the same time, because that's, that's one of my favorite, all time favorite songs. And so I'm like, Oh, this one, why are you doing this one? (laughs) Hey, Jason, the good news is there is absolutely no controversy about this whatsoever. (laughs) <laughs> oh god well this is i'm throwing it out there i mean this is so not only does quentin sacrifice himself and it happens very quickly which, which i feel like fiction doesn't do enough there are a lot of long extended goodbye scenes where it's like i'm dying very slowly right and then lord jason you will carry yes, on and, without yes, me oh, i will miss you all <laughs> but now and and i have sent my spirit into the beyond yeah. or to the, guide or that you robot in the black hole right where he does like the eight minute long monologue about how he's gonna die and it's like yeah okay are I, you yeah i just really? want that room to blow up already and let the movie keep going so so it happens suddenly it's uh super upsetting we get to spend time and say goodbye to quentin because he gets to kind of be debriefed by penny but um his friends don't and in fact elliot who we saw in the in the um sort of everything inside elliot's head moment you know and we know from last season they lived a whole lifetime together that there is an incredible um connection between these two and that they lived a life uh together as partners and raised a family and that elliot still thinks about that because we see that in that episode but elliot because he was sort of taken out of the equation by the monster, you know, there, there are no goodbyes, uh, between them and all Quentin can do is kind of watch them. And then he has to go. And it's very, uh, it's a big move by the show and it's a, uh, it's quite a way to send your season off. So I would love to hear what you all thought of this, uh, this decision and how it was executed. If I can uh, delineate kind of the, 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 the ways in which, uh, certain very vocal people uh, were upset about it and and how I feel about those things. There, there are two different angles, one of them being um, that um, uh, Quentin was a person who uh, who uh, who was at risk of self-harm, uh, struggled with mental illness. Um, and th- there are people who who have posited that um, that this is is dangerous uh, for people who are at the same risk. Um, and while sympathetic to that, 
um, and and having some of the same uh, depressive issues uh, that Quentin has in a general sense, uh, as I, as much as you can with a fictional character. Um, I I felt that um, that him making the choice, um, they had seeded it as as not something that he was planning to do. Uh, to achieve the result that Penny himself, or Penny Forty himself, asks um, if um, if if that was his goal, if it was to take himself out of the world, um, as he had thought about many times, and it it felt to me that it it rejected that it it, it was him making the choice that only he could make um, that he had to do it for the greater good. It was the greater good heroic sacrifice. Um, that is not the end of the narrative because it's not his narrative. Uh, f- for me, on on that level, it very much worked. Um, the other big thing uh, that that uh, that it seems uh, the the internet got upset about was uh, was that it denied Elliot, uh, just as you were saying, that that opportunity for closure uh, or another moment. Um, and th- there was a gigantic controversy surrounding the 100 where uh, an LGBT character um, met their end and it, it very much um, went with the barrier gaze uh, trope. And for me, the fact that we got to see that um, that entire episode, which w- uh, was the two of them living that whole life together, if we hadn't gotten that, if we had gotten just like a like a a shipper tease level uh, amount of exposure to them um, living that life, it, it would have probably bothered me on that level. But um, just the the fact that that they did get that substantive character time together. Um, I, you know, I, I did not take it that way. Um, I, you know, and I, I should, I should say, I'm not, I'm not here. Nobody's here. You know, the purpose of the show isn't here to tell people how to feel about stuff. Um, but I, I just felt like those two criticisms, they did not land with the way that, that, that the episode landed with me. Yeah. So I'm approaching this, uh, as re- somewhat disconnected from the internet and its feels about things. <laughs> it's and so okay. I, <laughs> you have, you have a, you have a deflector shield in place. I'm I'm honestly I mean we know that some people were upset about it, but it's like I'm honestly less concerned about the 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 feelings of the internet as the feelings of of the three the three of you of the, about yes. it. <laughs> I I was I was curious though cuz I didn't know that it was a thing and so I wanted to know kind of what people were upset with and I think that probably gives you a little bit of a hint and a preview mm-hmm. about how I felt about this. Um I understand that concern uh definitely and um I think that I never, I don't know, my, my gut reaction from, you know, not being, I guess, in this way, uh, pre-primed by anyone else's takes on this, just seeing this myself and absorbing this and, you know, uh, watching it, I didn't feel any bad way about this at all. Um, for me, well, I shouldn't say no bad way because I was sad, obviously, um, this, I was sad for this group. I don't have any particular feelings about Quentin, really. Um, He most of the time is even, you know, not not just the books, but even in the show. He's kind of insufferable, right? Yes, yes, yes. And despite like having some, you know, parallels, certainly with that character, it's just like, I just am not super into that character. And so while I didn't have like, you know, super huge feelings about him, dying what i did have super huge feelings about was watching the people who love him yes uh feel that that 
that pain and that sadness and trying to figure out yeah. how yeah. they go on from that. Wasn't that, that, I mean, the take on me scene, I mean, that's the, what's great about it is you don't have to like Quentin, but you like all those exactly. people who loved Quentin and they're yes. all hurting. You get to feel for them. Yeah. To have him watch that was very powerful too. And, um, sort of see, see how they felt about him. And so I feel like, you know, he really did, if he was ever in doubt about how they felt about him, then he had that moment to see, you know, they really did care about him. And, uh, so I think that I felt really good about that. And then, man, I just love Julia. And so if, if the pain gets her this thing that she thought that she lost, then by golly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be happy for her. I love how she is. She has kind of risen to be the woman that was kind of ignored for the sake of the fated hero. And she has she has risen to that kind of uh, very consequential central role mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've loved seeing that balance move. And with this being the point where we lose Quentin in the story, I feel really good about the way that I mean, some of these writers have been involved from the very beginning. Um but it, it has been it has been beautiful watching the way that they uh, they have threaded that dynamic. And to me, the way that they threaded throughout this season, little bits and pieces that would be called back to, you know, the minor mending spell and that kind of thing. Yeah, right. Um, the whole thing, it just it hangs together really well for me. And what do you think about sort of the uh, the ending <laughs> and how Quentin goes out? I'm I'm your controversial as a long t- as a long time fan of the books. Yes. No, I, no, I know. I know you. I, we, we we went back and forth on this a little bit uh, after the show aired. So yes, I, yes. I want to hear your perspective. I, well, on Well, and I think I think for me, first of all, I don't actually mind that Quentin died. I I feel especially with the situation with the actor seeming to want to leave the show, whatever. I actually think that part of it was fine, and it was like the episode is really beautiful. Um, I come at it from having a husband with bipolar and has been hospitalized. So then that does make me twitchy about mental health issues. Although on the whole, I thought, I think the show's been really good at portraying what that looks like in a way that you can be a functional whole human being and still have mental health issues. I I actually, I don't love that he didn't need his meds when he got purpose and found break bills. Mm -hmm. I feel most people don't get that um but yeah i i think the thing in that moment i wish he didn't ask the question i wish he had because i i did not read his death as a suicide attempt i read it as a sacrifice and then when he asked the question i was like why did you ask that question because i feel like you just opened the door to like you didn't feel like i just confused it i was i wasn't even thinking about that until he said that yes and so that that really that really bothered me from on Mm. that issue so i wish they didn't ask the question i feel like that would have been a cleaner situation for that i get i i i i didn't think of it either until you brought it up and i i I totally see your point i think that what they're trying to do anyway and they may have not done it successfully um what they're trying to do is sort of say quentin was a hero and yes. he died. But of course, in this world, you don't just die and you're gone. You are now in this afterlife. And Quentin, we know as a character, is this guy who doesn't believe he's the hero and is constantly questioning himself. And so I thought it was interesting, maybe not the best thing to do, but interesting that his first thought is, well, wait a second, was I really being the hero? Because, uh, you know, I have this whole track record and the show is really, and Penny and everybody else is like, <laughs> no. No, no, you were the hero. You, you turns out Quentin, 
you died a hero. That was your last act. Don't, you know, it's him. It's it's a, a, a ghost of a person uh, having their last act be to question themselves and have to be told, no, stop it. Stop questioning yourself. And I felt that was kind of consistent with his character, that he was trying to invalidate his own positive thing that he did but i also get the the sense that uh after talking to you that it kind of opens a a pandora's box of questions about this character that we did yeah because then it it, it's like opens it to interpretation i think whereas i think without the question it could have it would have been cleaner i feel like the show is trying to say there is no opening of this to interpretation he's just questioning himself but that doesn't necessarily mean that other people won't read it that way i can i can almost hear the voices in a writer's room going do we need to throw some insulation in here do we need to make sure that it's it's not it's not misinterpreted that we meant for this to be you know uh some sort of a a, like validation of self-harm or something i think they wanted that you know almost an it's a wonderful life kind of moment where they they really wanted him to have to be convinced by they wanted to lay him low enough that seeing his friends express their sadness and their love for him um makes him realize his value and this was the way they chose to do that is to have him question whether he was truly being heroic or not not sure it was really necessary i think it's interesting you know clearly uh you know annette (laughs) reacted Mm -hmm. like no no why did you do that and it's like i get i get why you reacted that way but i i I know why they did it they but i'm not necessarily sure it was the right thing to do it is a beautiful moment that that moment when they're singing singing i mean it is it is in fact in some ways using the trappings of magic from this it's still very much like it's like what we all imagine a memorial service to be which is the presence of the person is there maybe Mm -hmm. they're about to head Mm -hmm. off but they're still there and quentin gets that moment and it's it is beautiful and and that elliot we see elliot who is very much worse for wear but he's there and 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 he's going to be okay um (laughs) and it's it's a for all of my complaints about the finale last season they really it's just it was a beautiful ending And, and and a surprise twist and yet um a beautiful ending that that they got to let all the characters grieve for Quentin. Quentin, you know, it was like, hey, you may not like Quentin, but everybody else loved him, and and they're very sad that he died. And it's like, yeah, that's good. And he died a hero. It's like that's a good good way for him to go out. I think. I before you bow before you bow it up, I do want to something Annette that you mentioned, and it was it's something that I've got to talk a lot about with my partner, but didn't really get a chance to sort of talk to the internet about. Um, and that was sort of the one thing about this show that really, really, really bugged me. And you mentioned right. it. And um, that was the, the the moment where we have... Well, it wasn't a moment. It was sort of an ongoing little bit that Quentin suddenly doesn't need his medicine when yeah. he goes to... Whenever, you know, whenever he has magic. And that really did... Uh, you know, I kind of talked about this show as, as a... Uh, not it's not the best steward of mental health but there were good things about it and mm-hmm. when that happened i was very disappointed um as someone who in the past has struggled with suicidal ideation and takes medicine um every day for you know keeping my brain chemicals in line to have this idea you know it's it's already a hard thing to talk about it's already um it's 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 still stigmatized and i think that that felt really gross to me and yep. frustrating and upsetting and so when a show is not a good steward in that way in the past then 
it's a lot easier to see this moment as something right. that is not, you know, them being a, a continue. Yes, exactly. Suspect. Yes, That's perfect. Suspect. Well, and I think, yeah, and it, we still live in a time where people, my husband, he needs his drugs. He's got bipolar. He's going to take them for the rest of his life. And you still have people who just tell you that there's a better way mm-hmm. and you just blah, blah, blah. And you're supposed like, to wish your way to a better solution than medication. Yeah, you can you can will your way. And so they they basically with magic and essentially with his purpose, he doesn't need it. And I just think that reinforces the wrong message. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and by call and they called it out here in the, the last moment, they called out this thing that was maybe not their finest hour with this yeah. character. Yeah. And then in this last moment, they used that as as part of his journey and it's like guys why did you do that <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. tough yeah, yeah. And it, it had been long enough since i'd seen the episode that i, I you know I, I i i uh and actually any of the season at this point and have seen a bunch of stuff since um where it, it, stuff like that i've i forget about and i'm glad that annette uh brought it up because it it, we're, uh, you know, especially in a time where uh, making medication seem like something to be distrusted is, in general, uh, one of the most terrifying things that we're facing in the real world mm-hmm. uh, to have our fiction say the same thing to us. Yeah. Amen. I also have a problem with the Elliot situation. Though. Yes, yes. I mean that, that is that is definitely um, a lot of people did, and so yes, I would like to hear you. You don't have to be the internet, but you can represent yourself. I can. Well, I think for again, I I don't mind them killing off Quentin. I think I would have liked to have had that moment, and I I realize some people were like, we don't need closure. Life is not closure. But I watch stuff like this because I want endings and I want closure because my life sucks sometimes and I I like things. I stay away from things that are all over the place. So I would have liked to have seen at least a scene or a moment and between the two of them. And it did really bug me that Alice and Quentin got three episodes yeah. of like wrapping up their relationship and they couldn't even give Elliot and Quentin two seconds. I do believe that Quentin can be in love with both of those mm-hmm. characters. So it just, you know, they gave a lot of attention to the straight relationship and nothing to the queer relationship. I really thought that was over. <laughs> I didn't need that from Alice. I thought I was fine with them being you know, whatever. It's nothing against the actress. It's it's yeah. nothing against the actress. But I, 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 Alice is the one character that I go, I think I, I, I think I'm, I'm on the verge of saying I, I'm, I'm getting more Alice than I really need at yeah. a given moment. I, I, I like Alice fine and all. And I thought her She's stuff okay. in Modesto with Cameron Manheim was good. But, yeah. um, but th- when she returns to Quentin's orbit, I had at several points, I was like, are we really doing this again? Are we? <laughs> yeah, I. I thought that episode where they went back in time, I thought there's a nice wrap up of their relationship. Exactly. Now now we're preparing to move forward so Quentin and Elliot can be together. And then I was like, why are we going back? It was so backwards. Right, because Elliot swapped with his past self, which meant that that uh, his past self who's in love with with uh, um, Jul- not, with Alice is there with Alice. And so she's got mm-hmm. this kind of like, oh, this is, oh, yes, this is the old Elliot. And Elliot is then with old Alice and, and is have so similar feelings. And so it's a great, Quentin, you mean Quentin, or, sorry, Quentin, 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 yeah. Quentin. Quentin and Alice. I got all the, there's too many characters, all these, all these white guys, their names, too all sound many the same. characters, <laughs> boys, too many characters. Anyway, that is a nice science fictional 
thing, right? Of like, oh, well, you're, they're both kind of reliving their past uh, relationship. Yeah. And, and I agree it was sort of like a nice closure moment. But instead, they're sort of like, they, you know what? They, they really just wanted to do the fake out. They wanted to build that relationship back so that they could uh, shock you when he dies. And it, and, and, my, and it didn't work on me either. Where I was like, really? Like, there's so much water under the bridge at this point. But I think I thought it was big that they try to rebuild to a level of trust of like, I can be around you and I don't hate you. That's that's all I needed. It was yeah. like, that was a nice closure. Now they can be in the same room. But that relationship was too damaged to, to be rebirthed, I think. And so then they spend that time there when I think they could have, they, I don't know, I just wanted it a little bit. I, I am curious to see because I do have a lot of faith in the writers and in their storytelling that if they'll give some room for that, because you can bring Quentin back in various forms in little guest appearances or something. Maybe they'll give us something to give me that feeling of closure. But. I have to think that Elliot will be dealing with the fallout of Quentin's yeah. death very but his much. Last, his last boyfriend, they made him slit his throat and kill oh, him. Lordy, so lordy. Elliot yeah, has been yeah. wet, like hard done by it. And I feel like he could have because yeah he's only allowed to have relationships in alternate universes and timelines not in the real one he needs to have happy uh something happy happen to him next season i think that's uh so can we find him a new boyfriend resolved yeah yeah that's a good all idea all right all right i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> i would i would appreciate that marco's hanging out with josh hoberman apparently so you know Mike, if you have days that you need someone to just tag in uh, you know <laughs> the burden is too much just let me know i'm around i'll give you i'll give you a call also surprisingly weird um ending in the sense that um we get this like twist about um, Margot and Elliot uh, were kind of recovering and they go to Fillory and time has slipped forward. Oh my, what is going on? And there's, yeah. you know, this is our little tease for next season, which is like there's a there's an evil uh, ruler of, of uh, Fillory or something like that. So they have to deal with that. And what does that mean for like Fen? And I, I don't even know what all those are. And I guess that's next season. They, they renewed this show like the first episode aired and they're like, yeah, we renewed it already for next season. So obviously whoever's in charge at Sci-Fi... Um, uh, is like, hey, we own this show and it's good and it does okay on the ratings and we'll just keep making it. So uh, I'm all for that. That's great. I'm also all for Elliot having a cane. Oh my goodness. I want a cane. <laughs> Canes are cool. It's like, hey, that is hey. so sexy. Stylish, stylish cane. Touching back on something that you and I both said earlier, I feel better about where we're left at the end of this season than I did at the end of last season, where yeah. the end of last season made me absolutely terrified uh -huh. at, okay, now what's coming? Um, because as much as they do the multi-threaded narrative and everything, um, as we saw with the alternate identities of our protagonists uh, that were gone two, two episodes in, um, things move, things happen. So I'm not worried about all of those situations being stretched and dragged out. Um, and, and the question to me is, is which threads will become most dominant over the course of the next season. And I trust this writing team, uh, so much mm -hmm. yeah, really. that I'm, j I just, you can't give it to me soon enough. Please let me know. Please tell me that they're already shooting. Um, because I, I want season five now, 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 now. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, going to be going, going soon. Yes. Uh, big thumbs up to the whole writing team, uh, led by, John McNamara and Sarah Gamble, who are the showrunners, and uh, uh, what a great job! Right these these two seasons, I would put I would put three and four of the magicians up against almost anything. Um, it's that good. It's that good. Like 
but we're very lucky. <laughs> to, God, to, to, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm with you. Until the last half of this, that last see, this episode, yeah. I was like, I loved it. And then I was like, kind of let down. Well, but That's how I felt about the last episode last season, too. But, you know. Yeah, but I was like, but I have hope. And I, I also, also feel like not having Elliot for a whole season, it's going to be so good to have Elliot and yeah, Marco back together. I'm amazed that the series season was a, as good as it was, given that they didn't let us have Elliot other than for one episode. I want them. All right. Uh, well, that wraps up this conversation. We'll be back in a year to talk about season five of The Magicians. What wacky things will they do next season? I don't know. We'll find <laughs> out. But until then, I want to thank my guests for talking about this amazing show with me. Annette Weirstra, thank you. Thank you. I have gone to the Underworld, but I plan on returning. Excellent. Excellent. Mike Sargent, thank you. Fun fact for the audience, Tom Wright, Santa Claus, played Tuvix in Star oh, Trek no. Voyager. Why did you have to go there, Micah? Why? I, because I had to go there, oh. and so y'all had to come oh, along no. with me. I'm so sorry. I like I'm him so as sorry. Santa Claus, though. He's great as Santa Claus. Yes. No Tuvix. And uh, Moises, don't touch the dragon egg. Uh, thank you. I won't. Uh, and Jason, I, I feel pretty confident saying that this show needs no minor mending. It's in pretty good shape as it is. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Also, stay away from that mirror. It's bad. The mirror is bad. Uh, And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. 